Chapter Eleven of The Sorcery Club by Elliot O'Donnell. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Don W. Jenkins. Chapter Eleven. Leon Hamar calls on the Martins. Where's Gladys? John Martin asked as he rose with an effort, stiff and tired from the remains of a meat tea. In reply, Miss Templeton merely pointed a finger and went on crocheting. Following the direction indicated, John Martin stepped out onto the lawn and, glancing round the garden, called, Gladys! Then he listened, and there came to him snatches of a song, the words of which, full of arch sentiment, allied with and to a large extent dependent on a unique knowledge of and love of nature would not have disgraced a herrick or a raleigh the music a schubert or a sullivan john martin had spared no money in educating gladys and she did him credit he thought so now as exhausted from a hard day's poring over letters he paused and leaned his back against a tree a gentle breeze blew her notes to him full of melody and mirth fresh and young and tender as tender as the rosebuds and violets that nestled at her bosom by jove john martin murmured fancy my having a daughter like gladys i ought to be jolly well pleased and so i am the only thing i fear is that she'll marry someone who isn't half good enough for her but who would be good enough for her god alone knows and god alone knows whether she or i ought to decide gladys hello and the next moment a vision in pink emerged from the bushes gladys i want to confide in you what's wrong daddy dear gladys said thrusting an arm through his and walking him gently along with her through the glade you weren't at all nice to me when we parted this morning but you look so wearied that i'll be magnanimous and forgive you what is it why it's like this john martin said putting his arm around her and holding her close to him as he used to do when a little girl she came sidling up to him for sugar-plums poor dick's affairs are in a terrible muddle unknown to me he speculated right and left and he has not only muddled through everything he had but he has left a number of debts and unfortunately i have to meet them you father but why you gladys cried because they were incurred in the name of the firm i can meet them all right but it will be a big drain on my resources that's worry number one worry number two is about young davenport shiel i don't know what to do about him he was entirely dependent on dick his work as an artist doesn't bring him in enough to keep him in tobacco and the worst of it is he doesn't seem capable of turning his hand to anything else i can't see him starve so i shall have to allow him something he seemed to me very intelligent gladys observed couldn't you take him into the firm who are you going to have in his uncle's place that's the trouble john martin replied i do feel i want someone i am getting on in years my brain is not so vigorous as it used to be and i can't go on inventing fresh tricks ad infinitum moreover i need assistance in the purely business side of the concern i want someone who is both businesslike and inventive someone young brilliant and reliable you couldn't sell out i suppose no not just at present thanks to poor old dick the firm is in rather a precarious condition 
another six months over and we may be perfectly all right no i must stick on and get another partner and you look here gladys you know i let you do pretty nearly everything you like but let me beg of you not to be too friendly with that young davenport i caught him looking very impressively at you this morning and i am quite sure if he sees anything more of you he will be falling head over ears in love which is the very last thing in the world i want that's making me out to be very attractive daddy gladys said looking round at him mischievously and so you are dear john martin said wonderfully attractive and none knows it better than yourself but in this case you must think of consequences consequences that might be disastrous to us all confound it who's this what on earth does he want gladys gazed in astonishment a young and very smartly dressed man was advancing towards them with a soft cat-like tread he was of medium height and slim build his head disproportionately large his right ear standing out in proof that it had long been used as a pen-rest his nose pronounced and semitic in outline his eyes big projecting and yellowish-brown his chin retreating his complexion dark and saturnine gladys shivered what a horrible person she whispered there is something positively uncanny about him i feel cold all over and how he stares yes what is it john martin demanded do you want to see me you're mr martin i reckon the stranger replied in the soft drawl characteristic of california i've come to have a little talk with you on business with me on business john martin cried i don't know you i've never seen you before you see me now anyway the stranger laughed casting approving eyes at gladys my name's leon hamar and i've come to talk over that show of yours damn your impudence john martin said raising his stick threateningly how dare you intrude upon me here on such a pretext calmly calmly sir hamar cried his cheeks paling i've come here with every intention of being civil i am chief partner in the modern sorcery company limited and as conjuring figures prominently in our programme i thought you might prefer to have us as friends rather than rivals i'm sure my father need not fear your rivalry gladys broke in meeting hamar's admiring gaze stonily if he said you desire a proof of our ability to accomplish what we profess i will give that proof without delay with your prayer you have no permission from me sir john martin cried fiercely go hamar merely shrugged his shoulders you ought not to get so heated he said considering that exactly twenty feet below where you are standing is a spring all you have to do is to mark the spot and sink a well and there will be no need for you to use the company's water as you are probably aware spring water is a thousand times clearer and purer also he went on stepping hastily back as john martin again raised his stick in the trunk of that elm over yonder is a hollow about eight feet from the ground and if you look inside it you will discover an iron box full of curios and jewellery shall i no retorted john martin if you don't go instantly i'll send for the police and hamar coming to the conclusion that upon this occasion discretion was better than valour hurriedly beat a retreat you'll be sorry john martin he shouted from a safe distance 
and so will miss gladys charming miss gladys but remember you have only yourselves to blame ta-ta and the next moment he was lost to sight well gladys ejaculated of all the beastly cads i have ever seen he fairly takes the biscuit what colossal cheek the idea of his coming here and speaking to us like that can't we prosecute him father hardly john martin replied best leave him alone i wish he hadn't come he's upset me my nerves are anyhow which was the tree he spoke about this one gladys exclaimed walking up to an elm and patting it with her hand but you surely don't believe what he said do you it was all rubbish from the start to finish daddy my dear old daddy i do believe you are worrying about it hold my hat and stick a moment john martin said and making a spring which for one of his age and weight showed surprising agility he succeeded in catching hold of one of the nearest lateral branches the elm being old the bark had become very gnarled and uneven and thus the difficulty of ascension lay more in semblance perhaps than in reality embracing the large trunk as closely as possible with his arms and knees much to the detriment of his clothes seizing with his hands some projections and resting his feet upon others john martin after one or two narrow escapes from falling at length wriggled himself into the first great fork and paused to wipe his forehead oh do take care father gladys pleaded you'll fall and break your neck do be sensible and come down now but john martin paid no attention he went on groping i found it he suddenly shouted that bounder was right the trunk is hollow he was silent then for some minutes and gladys could only see his boots then there was a muffled oath a sound of choking and gasping which made gladys blood run cold and then a great cry there's something here something hard and heavy it's a box an iron box take it from me and leaning as far down as he dared he placed in gladys outstretched hands a rusty iron box then there was the sound of scraping and tearing and john martin gradually lowered himself to the ground his coat covered with green and the knees of his trousers ripped to pieces gladys ran indoors for a hammer and chisel and the hinges of the box being worn with age and exposure it was but the work of a few seconds to break it open it was full of gold and silver coins and jewellery there were only a few gold pieces the greater number of the coins were silver the bulk georgian and their dates ranged from sixteen ninety seven to seventeen fifty the jewellery consisted of several massive gold bracelets two or three of very fine workmanship and some dozen or so plain gold rings two silver watches and a varied assortment of silver trinkets all were more or less antique but none apart from the gold bracelets of any great value well john martin exclaimed as they concluded their examination of the articles what do you make of it why that man put them there of course gladys said can't you see the whole thing is nothing but a dodge to intimidate you into forming a friendship with him i dare say he has heard that mr davenport is dead and thinks he sees an opportunity to be taken into partnership he had a horrid face sly and cunning and his way of looking at me was positively disgusting it makes me feel sick and horrid even to think of it what shall we do with these things john martin asked picking up one of the watches and eyeing it with curiosity are they ours gladys replied 
i certainly consider we've a right to keep them her father said since we've found them ourselves on our property but i suppose legally they are treasure trove and ought to be given up and surely the government would pay us something for them wouldn't it i should think so at least a decent government would anyhow i think to give them up will be our best course i doubt if the whole lot is worth fifty pounds where was it he said there was water good gracious gladys exclaimed you don't mean to say you are going to bother about that now it was here i think john martin went on thrusting his stick in the ground to the best of my knowledge and i had experts advice there is no water anywhere near here had there been i should not have gone to the expense of having pipes laid down to feed the pond oh father how can you be so silly gladys cried of course there isn't any water there it's only a trick a trick to frighten you and i'm beginning to think it has succeeded i shall try here anyway to-morrow john martin said grimly let us go in now when gladys went into the garden on the following morning she beheld an extraordinary sight her father the gardener and a man whom she did not recognize at first as his back was turned towards her but who to her utter astonishment proved to be shield davenport were hard at work digging a pit her father paused every now and then and rested but he did not allow the others a moment's respite every time they were about to slack he urged them on it was all very well for the gardener who was accustomed to it but it was obviously killing work for shield davenport and gladys as soon as she had overcome a preliminary outburst of laughter gave vent to her sympathies what a shame she exclaimed father how can you poor mr davenport looks ready to drop take a rest mr davenport do you have my permission looking very hot and exhausted shield davenport threw down his spade and attempted to make himself presentable his clothes will be ruined father gladys said indignantly they're not his clothes he's wearing an old suit of mine john martin explained trying to appear unconcerned shiel forced a laugh i'm rather out of form miss martin i haven't had much exercise lately you're getting it now anyway john martin chuckled and it's blistered your hands horribly gladys cried pointing to several raw places i will fetch you a pair of father's gloves he's a brute please don't trouble shiel exclaimed i'll use my handkerchief instead digging is even harder work than painting in one way it's not fit work for you gladys replied with another reproachful glance at her father when did you arrive i never heard you i phoned to him last night john martin said looking rather sheepish i thought a day out here would do him good he thought so too and came on by the seven o'clock train we've been digging ever since breakfast but a bit of exercise won't hurt him and i'll give him plenty of vaseline presently they resumed work again and gladys retired indoors at eleven o'clock john martin let shiel go you can amuse yourself to luncheon with books and papers he said you'll find plenty of them in my study i'll join you later but shiel had other ideas of amusing himself and as soon as he had washed and changed back into his own clothes he followed the sounds of music until he reached the drawing-room i'm sure you must feel dreadfully tired gladys said leaving off playing it was too bad of father to make you work like that i'm afraid your father thinks me a very useless article shiel replied seating himself in an easy chair and trying his hardest not to look too ardently and an artist is not much good outside his profession who is gladys smiled shall you still go on painting 
now that my uncle has died it all depends depends on whether he has been able to leave me anything in his will from one or two things your father has said i fear he has not in which case i don't quite know what i shall do i could hardly expect mr martin to take me into his firm aren't you any good at invention gladys asked i know he wants someone who is someone who can help him devise fresh tricks this everlasting racking of the brains to think of something new is beginning to be too much for him i wish i could be of some use shiel said both for his sake and mine and may i add yours anyhow i'll try i have a certain amount of imagination i suppose most artists have and henceforth i'll devote it to trickery no not to trickery gladys said to conjuring well to conjuring then to planning something novel and startling in the way of a trick and as they say two heads are better than one perhaps you will help me i gladys laughed why i've never invented anything in my life barring a song nevertheless i'm sure you would be of great help to me shiel said you would at least criticize my efforts wouldn't you oh i should certainly do that gladys laughingly rejoined and probably do more harm than good you could never do any harm shiel said with so much eagerness that gladys got up and began searching for a piece of music i would give anything to paint you i have been painted twice gladys observed for the r a yes i didn't much care about it and i grew desperately tired of sitting who painted you hennebleau painted me once and darker painted me once then it's useless for me even to think of it how did they treat you in their pictures hennebleau painted me in evening dress and darker painted me in the character of enid you know the enid in the idols of the king yes but i should like to paint you as melody in flowerland i'm afraid i can't grasp it gladys said can't you shiel exclaimed i can the idea came to me when i heard you singing just now and saw you sitting here in the midst of flowers and dressed like a rose i should paint you clad as you are now all in pink seated in the garden singing and all the flowers leaning towards you listening i would give anything to paint it and he spoke with such enthusiasm that gladys remembering her dream flushed i think she said we might go into the garden and see how the work is progressing i fear i can't do any more digging shiel put in hastily i willingly would if i could but i really can't use my hands and you've not had any vaseline gladys cried i'll get you some and before he could prevent her she had gone she was back again however in a few moments with a tiny white jar and some linen bandages i couldn't find my aunt she began or she would bandage your hands for you won't you shiel asked do he thrust his hands toward her as he spoke and gladys uttered an exclamation of horror the palms and fingers were raw and swollen i feel heartily ashamed of myself for being so thin-skinned shiel said but gladys had disappeared she returned almost immediately with a bowl of water i'm sure they must hurt you dreadfully she exclaimed as she gently bathed the hands it makes me feel quite ill to see them for the next few moments shiel was in paradise the touch of her cool white fingers on his hot and burning skin was far nicer than anything he had ever imagined her sweet-scented breath stealing gently up his nostrils soothed away all his care even the remembrance of his recent loss 
with his whole heart and soul concentrated in his gaze he watched her every movement watched the waving and tossing of the stray wisps of hair over her temples and ears as the breeze rustled through the open windows and the gentle tightening and relaxation of her delicately moulded lips each time she breathed shiel had always had a very solitary existence apart from his uncle he had no near relatives and with the exception of the five or six weeks in the year he had spent at dick davenport's house in sydenham he had always been in rooms he had often felt lonely but never quite so lonely as now now that the only person he had known intimately and for whom he had entertained any real affection was suddenly taken away he was now absolutely alone in the world and the poignancy of his position came home to him acutely it is a terrible thing to be lonely lonely men do all sorts of dreadful things things they would certainly never dream of doing if they had companionship and shiel was doing a dreadful thing now every moment he was falling more and more desperately in love despite the fact that he had no money and worse still no prospects of ever making any and loneliness was in the main responsible for it had he not been so lonely had he not spent days and days alone in lodgings with no one to talk to no one to care whether he were ill or dying had this not been his experience the experience he was even then undergoing reason would have outweighed folly and even though he might have realized that in gladys martin he had found his ideal of beauty of womanliness he would have been content only to admire as it was he was in that very dangerous mood when the heart yearns for sympathy when a plain woman's sympathy means much and a pretty woman's more than much it is no exaggeration to say that shiel would have lain down and died for gladys ten times over for her sake if only to see her smile no mere physical pain would have been too excruciating for him to bear and when she put the finishing touches to the bandages and quite by chance of course their eyes met he looked at her as if he never meant to leave off looking at her as if he never meant to do anything else but look at her for all eternity whether she understood as much or not is impossible to say shiel asked himself the question over and over again before the day was out and in his sleep and during the next day and for many days afterwards could she tell how much he admired her how much he worshipped her all that he was prepared to do for her sweet sake all this he asked himself repeatedly and went on thinking of her when he knew he ought never to have thought of her at all i'm sure your hands are more comfortable now won't you go into the garden and see how the work is progressing she said or if you are afraid father will want you to dig again perhaps you would like to go into his study and read the papers i should like to stay here and listen to you singing he said mayn't i do that you might she said but i have to go out then i'll stay here till you return he said i've never been in such a delightful room what do you think of shield davenport gladys remarked to her aunt a few minutes later i don't think i've ever met such an extraordinary young man he does nothing but stare at me and when i ask him to do one thing he suggests doing another he's the most difficult person to manage in fact i can't manage him at all never mind about managing him my dear miss templeton replied so long as you don't let him manage you young men who do nothing but stare are not merely difficult they are dangerous end of chapter eleven read by don w jenkins rancho san diego california